that whole like Firefox is fast thing. I remember going to Fosdem three years ago and seeing two years ago maybe a demo of Servo, their Rust yeah. rendering engine, and it was like ridiculously fast. It was like. Um, I, I, I can't describe it. It was just like an image appearing on the screen. The rendering mm-hmm. time, it just looked like they just opened a PNG, like, and it immediately appeared. And there was, and flicking backwards and forwards through pages, they were going through various Wikipedia pages. And because the renderer was very early on in its development, and so it couldn't render every page, so they all u- used Wikipedia as the, the, right. the example. But they were skipping through Wikipedia pages, and it was like they were all cached locally. And he made a point of clearing the cache and saying, nope, we're loading each one of these <laughs> and going to it new and they just look like flicking between pngs but when i ran firefox locally it's nothing like that so in those three years they've lost something from that or the web's gotten more complicated well yeah maybe you know staged demo well there's that but (laughs) i do i don't this is one of those things that i always feel like a bit of a dork for describing as one of the things that i like about firefox but because it's so like intangible um but so one of the things I like about using Unity over some other desktop environments, like these certain intangibles, and for me on Firefox with with the new rendering engine, it's like uh, I just prefer the way it loads the page. It's about I feel like Chrome and Firefox are about neck and neck. Maybe Firefox has a bit of an edge right now, but it and it definitely has an edge on the the impact it puts on my system compared to Chrome. But like I just the way like the way my brain reads websites. It feels like Firefox gives priority to rendering those elements first. Oh, interesting. Where Chrome seems to like chug on the whole page and then dump it on the screen or something. I don't I can't even fully I almost have to like get a a high frame rate camera and record the two of them loading. Shit, actually, maybe I should do that actually. Too unusual it doesn't because I, I do remember in early browsers there was definitely a tendency to render fields and stuff first yeah. before they rendered anything. It feels like we're well. back. I I feel I should take out my phone and try the high frame rate uh, slow-mo video recording and record Chrome loading the page and then record Firefox loading the same page, play it back and see if then I can figure out what it is. Well, you could you could just open the developer tools on the right-hand side and it gives you a timeline of what's loading. So you can actually see. It, hmm. it lists everything that's loading and you can, you know, you, you, it will tell you what it's doing. Well, that's doing. pretty fancy. That'd but, be a fancy way to do it. But I remember um, at one of the UDSs we had in Brussels many years ago, like I think 2010 this would be, um, there was a Chromium developer um, who was giving a presentation about how they sped up Chromium and how they made it faster. And he, the demo that he gave, I may have said this before on the show, sorry. Um, the demo that he gave, he was just launching Chromium from, from nothing. And as a demonstration of a comparison, he opened Gnome Calculator next to it. And he just kept opening them uh, one after the other and going, Chromium calculator chromium calculator <laughs> and just showing and you could see chromium would load faster than gnome calculator and if you watch gnome calculator you could actually see it draw each of the buttons on the screen and he said look i'm not i'm not having a go at the gnome calculator devs and someone shouted out that's a good job because he's in the audience right here <laughs> and, uh, but he said, he said this is an example like all this complication you've got with the gtk toolkit doing all of that work and we've stripped that out and the browser which is way more heavyweight than gnome calculator loads tons faster than just a simple calculator and it's a lot of it is that perception of how how quick you watch it draw exactly like you were saying you can kind of see where it's drawing the page this is linux unplugged episode 228 for december 19th 2017 
Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's all prepared, battened down, and our hatches are ready for the holidays. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes, and welcome to the last live Unplugged of the year. Boom! Yeah, we still have more shows in the can coming up in the feeds and on the site and all the usual places, but... We are kind of excited because this is our last live production of the year. Goodbye, 2017. And we're going out with some great community stories. And we're going to try something fun since we thought it is our last show. Let's, let's, let's just do something that we've always kind of wanted to do. And it's the Linux commands you should never use. Like a few commands that are guaranteed to wreck your box. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do, do it. it. We're going to tell you about them. Maybe, you're, maybe a new Linux box came to you for the holidays and uh, you want to know how to destroy it immediately we got you covered in this week's episode but we also got a bunch of really great community news and for the love of all that is linux i really hope we're almost in the home stretch for the gen 2 challenge but we will find out later today we will have to wait stay tuned and find out so we have a lot to get to and like i said it is our last live show of the year so it is at this moment we must bring in the virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. Hey, hey, good evening, boys. Hello. Oh, I believe I heard a beard in that mix too, and a popey and a wimpy. Good to see you guys, Mister Veratunda is in there. CM, hey, Citizen, Mini Mac, you guys, you my mumblers. I love you. I love you. Let's uh, let's start out with something you could be looking forward forward to in the summertime because it is the uh, thick of winter right now. In fact, I think it's damn near winter solstice. You know, Wes, when is winter solstice? Do you know? Let's take a look. Hey, Alexa, when is winter solstice? I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. It's usually right around the 21st. Yeah. December 21st. Winter solstice will be on Thursday, December 21st, 2017. Yeah, yeah okay. We're pretty darn close, and it's we're, pretty we're, darn dark outside. So let's talk about the summer for a little bit. Oh, let's talk about dreams what, of the summer. What can we look forward to in Linux in the summer of 2018? Well, uh... Probably some stupid drama. That's my, that's my <laughs> bet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. Uh, but Linus Claus uh, has an answer for us. We could ask him. I'll ask you about something that you actually fully control and most likely can mathematically predict. This is Linus uh, at a uh, recent uh, Foundation Linux Foundation event, the keynote, where he's being interviewed by Dirk, and he says, "All right, tell me about Linux kernel 5.0." So when are we going to get Linux 5.0? Oh, well, I have. I have been known to start losing track of numbers when they <laughs> go into the fingers, 20s and 30s. Fingers and, and toes? And yeah, no, I, yeah, when I had to take off my shoes to, to count kernel releases. Uh, Can I just say that I, I, love that I love that this is how Linus decides when it's time to, to rev the number. It's not like some like, uh, Phil Schiller marketing scheme or uh, Sanjay uh, planning the next big phase of Azure and the version number's got to jump from 8 to 10 so that way they can pretend like 8 never happened. Nope, it's just, uh, I don't know. That seems to be like the numbers are too high to me and I can't really keep them all straight, so I feel like I should change it. Yeah, plus one. No, it's, it's psychological for me. Uh, it turns out 13 and 14, they're easy to remember. But when you're looking back and you can't recall the difference between 23 and 24 or the, the numbers, smaller numbers stand out more. So I suspect that we'll hit 4.19 and, and instead of 4.20, I might decide it's time to 5, 5.0. The numbers don't mean anything at all. They have not meant anything in a long time. Uh, it was actually very stressful when, back when they did. 
Uh, it was a horrible model for development. I remember, I mean, even back in the 1.0 days, just trying to like draw the line in the water, in the sand of, of this is 1.0, and this is when the, our internet code is actually working, it was really tough and very stressful. And then you uh, never end up doing the right decision anyway. So jettisoning that entirely and saying, no, the numbers don't mean anything. They do keep incrementing, but we just try to make them sound like easier to remember than, than any other kind of meaningfulness has made my life much easier. And I, I think pretty much everybody enjoys it now. But then there are still the few people, when I make 5.0 and they expect lots of new features, they're disappointed. Yes. So if I get my math right, that means next summer-ish? Probably. Um, I also did some numerology and decided that every two million Git objects is when, <laughs> when I need to do a new major release. But since our development is accelerating, that actually might be sooner than next summer. Wow. So it really depends on... I, I, It's a random number, and I want people to be aware that it's a random number and has no meaning. So there you go. Be arbitrarily excited for no reason at all that we may get Linux kernel 5.0 in the summer. Hey, yo. Are you arbitrarily randomly excited for no reason? Very much so. Me too. I can't help it. It's 5.0. It feels like then we get to have, even though it's not true and it makes no more sense, you can shame people for being on older kernels. Like, yeah. wow, you're still on oh, three geez. something. We're on five now. Man, your Android device is running kernel 3.4? Wow. Exactly. <laughs> I have the whole talk. It's about a half hour uh, linked in the show notes if you'd like to watch it. It's a wide-ranging discussion as well as a blog write-up from It's Foss, uh if you'd rather read it. Now, OMG Ubuntu put together one of those traditional end-of-year posts, the best of 2017 Linux. I thought we'd just go we'd go through it with the mumble room, see what they think. This is mostly put together by uh, Joey's readers and then he voted and then he uh, – I think added a few spices and dash here and there. The number one distro of 2017 is Ubuntu 17.10, according to Joey. Obvious mm. reasons there because of the huge, huge release. But number two, what do you think of number two? The number two Linux distribution of 2017, Solus 3. Solus getting the nod here as, an, uh, as like the number two competitor to the Ubuntu 17.10 release. That's, that's pretty big news, I would say. Yeah, although thinking about it, I don't know who else I would give it to. I mean, it seems obvious that it should be Solus. In fact, it's a, it's remarkable that Solus has shot this far up on these kinds of lists already. Right. I do think it, it does speak to things that we've noticed and maybe commented on throughout the year. Um, but it's sort of a it's like a big win that it's deserved. Seems like huge. I think. What do you think, Mumble Room? Is do you agree with Solus being the number two distro of the year? What about that? Uh, what about that Ubuntu Mate? <laughs> 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 Sorry, I just I had to poke Wimpy a little bit. Well, I've installed an Ubuntu Mate way more than I've installed Solus. That's for certain. Yeah, yeah, I oh, have yeah. too. Get you stuffed and put you on a shelf. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I I'm surprised. I personally, I was surprised at how much take up there's been of seventeen ten. I mean, I know it was mar- like significantly different from previous releases that we've put out over the last yeah. like three three mm-hmm. to eight years, but um, it. We're seeing a ton more people running 17.10 than 17.04. 17.04 is like probably proportionally what a normal a normal interim release would be. It's like not a huge amount of take up. Most people stay on the LTS, but we're seeing 
comparable numbers of people running 1710 as run the LTS. There's that many people who have jumped on it. What do you suppose that tells us? I'm trying to interpret what that means. People like new stuff. Could it be actually that, you know, the people who uh, left Ubuntu because they went, you know, Unity, and now they're doing GNOME and flood back to it? That's what I I was wondering. There's There's definitely... I think anecdotally there's some evidence that that's happened, that people have come back to Ubuntu. But I think also there was a lot of uh, interest around 17.10 and there was a lot of good communication from the desktop team about why people should care about 17.10. And I think that piqued their interest for a long time, you know, that, that, that hasn't been there. And, you know, there was a lot of new stuff and a lot of things that they knew that were coming and yeah, people have, have really uh, flocked to it. The common wisdom though, before the 1710 release was that, uh, you know, we get some, I mean, this is my interpretation was we get some pickup, but for the most part, everybody will stick on the LTS. Um, now I wonder if as this development pace continues, if that trend will continue or if 1804 will become really sticky. Oh, that'll be telling us. So Wouldn't that tell us if it's GNOME or if it's new stuff? Well, we tend to get two bumps uh, when the LTS comes out because the people who are on the interim release, so people right now who are on 1710, will get offered 1604 the moment it comes out as an upgrade option. 1804, yeah. And, and, uh, sorry, 1804. We'll get that as an option when, when it comes out. Um, but people who are on the previous LTS, 1604, won't get that offered to them by default until the point one release a couple of months later so to iron out all the all the bugs so they don't we don't get everyone from 1604 coming to 1804 on day one of the release they come a little while later so we tend to get two bumps but i think we're going to see two similarly sized bumps for people coming from 1710 because there's a ton of people on that and a ton of people coming from 1604 later so i think by like middle of next year, like August next year, we're going to see a huge number of people on eighteen oh four more than probably we expected. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Okay, I, that's that. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit in Joey's list here. The number five event or uh, Linux thing in 2017 was Ubuntu for Windows, the subsystem for uh, the Linux subsystem for Windows, and the arrival of Ubuntu on the actual Windows Store uh, in July. And then it became available in the Fall Creators Update for anybody that wants Windows 10 and wants to go check that box. And uh, OpenSUSE and Fedora, I believe, are in route still? Although I'm not positive. I think SUSE I, might be I in there. Thought they, I thought they landed. Okay. But you, I, I haven't heard I think SUSE might be, but I don't know if Fedora is. I okay. checked kind of recently, a few weeks ago, but uh, I'm a little, uh, it's been a few weeks. Yeah. Wow. What do we think of that? Um, do we agree? Is this... Has this been a good thing? I don't know if I agree it's been a good thing. I think I deviate. Well, I agree that it was a moment. <laughs> it's certainly noteworthy. It's the, I don't think it's the sky falling. Everyone will just use Windows subsystem for Linux uh, and never switch to Linux. I don't think that. Uh, I think there are peop- plenty of developers, plenty of developers, yes. and I'm sure Michael Dominic would speak to this, who are, are either forced or encouraged to use Windows at work. But they want a, a typical Linux user space somewhere on their machine, and this is perfect for that. And I, we get a fair amount of feedback from people telling us that is where they use it. It's yep. just at work where they have to. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. But I've also heard people say, yeah, I was thinking about switching, uh, but I'm not switching now. I have heard that yeah. as well. 
I, so I think WSL is going to continue to evolve, but there's also a number of things that it just can't do right now. So depending on how exotic your requirements are, you may run out of rope with WSL. Yes. But, but it does a job to provide it, – it does a far better job to provide a familiar Linux um, working environment than, you know, Sigwin and MinGW yes. and things of that nature. Yes, yes, very, very, very mm-hmm. much so. Um, <clears throat> so it uh, looks like Beard just checked in here. And, yeah, Ubuntu is in the store right now. Leap42 and SUSE Linux Enterprise Server 12 are in the store, but oh. no CentOS or Fedoras or nothing like that. I'd love to see CentOS <clears throat> wind up in there. I, I love the idea of the Windows store being taken over by loads of different I, distros. Yeah, right. well, I, like that. I do love the idea of them being some of the most popular apps in that store because let's be honest, that store is filled with trash. So it could, oh, be, yeah. it, it could be possible, really. Some Arch Linux in there. Yeah. Uh, he wraps it up with a few other things like Atom IDE being one of the better uh, desktop IDEs uh, along with all the packages and Geary as the best alternative to Thunderbird, uh, which I don't know if I agree with Geary either. I, I, may, I may give the nod to Mailspring, but perhaps I'd I'll definitely give the nod to Mailspring for the best mail client right now. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's one of those. It's one of those where Geary is great in a world where there's not other platforms that have better mail clients. Not to disparage Geary because it's one of my favorites. MailSpring is competitive on all platforms, Mac, Windows, or Linux. It's a very competitive application. It's a very good-looking application. A lot of thoughts gone into the design. It's a very responsive in terms of like I can have it vertically stacked in a small space on my desktop. I can have it maxed out over a 2K display. A lot of work has gone into MailSpring. And Nalaeus before it, so I'm going to talk. I think I, I've been I've been pinging back and forth with the, with the developer. He's a busy guy. It's the holidays, and I've been pinging him last minute every time. But in the future, I think we might do a segment on it because I think it's a very nice, very, very, very nice mail client, and uh, it's in better shape than I think it's ever been when it was Nalaeus. I've been using yeah, it for I a couple just, weeks. I just wish it support GPG, but oh well. Oh. Well, I'm sure the future holds many who, great things. Who is it that you mail regularly that uses GPG? Okay, all my family, friends. Really? Really? So you, you, you're really? the some, some users of all of the people using GPG for mail? <laughs> yeah, there's the majority. <laughs> I haven't had, I've no, used it on and off over the years, but nobody else I email sticks to it. So then I always feel like the fool that's, I almost feel like I'm fronting, like I'm, huh. like I'm showing off because nobody else sticks with it. And then it's like, okay, I'm G- that guy. There's even, there's even blogs from the GPG developers explaining why they don't use GPG for mail because it's just a poor solution. Huh? Well, we're all doomed. We're all doomed when it comes Not to poor mail. solution, poor implementation. That's the difference. Yeah, the implementation is the issue. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Good, good point. Because unless everyone's doing it, it's irrelevant. One of my favorite projects to follow this year, just on the back burner, has been BcashFS. If William was here, he'd tell you why. But yeah. uh, I just really am excited about this next generation file system. This may be eventually the one that I end up putting on my workstations. And uh, Kent has taken a he took recently a little time off over the ho- over the summer, but he's been back since then, and he's been banging out a lot of different features. And I just want to give us a quick update. He says the biggest thing he's been spending his time on lately has been improving the test infrastructure, which is awesome, and chasing bugs. He says there's also been major and cool improvements on the core I/O path. The recent change is that now, whenever uh, generating new checksums. 
uh, FS verifies it against the existing checksum by generating multiple checksums that cover all existing data, one of which covers just the data we're keeping, and then merging the checksums with calculated and verifying the equal to the original checksum. This means that even if you don't have ECC memory, memory corruption can't lead to silent corruption or bit rot of existing data. So this is, in my opinion, some nice stuff. So a lot of times people are always talking, especially when you're talking about large ZFS implementations. One of the most common questions that comes into TechSnap when they're talking about setting up ZFS is, do I need ECC memory? And a lot of times the answer is no, but geez, it sure helps. And now with BcacheFS, you sort of have that safety net, which is way more economical on laptops and desktops and low-end ARM devices. ECC memory has a big cost overhead and performance overhead to a degree. So, and not that this checksum checking doesn't, but BcacheFS is so damn fast. It's just, it's beautiful to see this happen in the file system. And it's going to be one of those banner features once it ships and people ask, is this thing production ready? This will be one of the things people cite. Very happy about that development. Uh, Also coming down the pipeline is quota support. Uh, which (laughs) he says has been the cause of much wailing and gnashing of teeth. Uh, For now, the less said about quotas, the better. (laughs) I I have not followed the drama there. But then here's the big thing. He just slips in very, very last sentence of this rather long Patreon post. He says, lastly, BcashFS has its first corporate sponsor. A big thank you to Elements.tv. And if you need media storage appliances, you should definitely check them out. So apparently Elements.tv making a little Hey-o. long-term bet yeah. on BcashFS. Really cool to see that. That's really cool to see. Yeah. and I, he, mean, I just don't feel like you know, I, can't, I can't be emotionally invested in ButterFS. Uh, and, but there's just some things that like as great as XFS is that just not what it right. desi- has been designed to do. Right. If you're this curious, is the new hope. this is the new hope of Linux file systems, and I'm glad to see things are progressing. If you're listening, you're like, well, what is what is so great about it? Do a site search and look in our back catalog where we talk about it, where William goes into some detail about it. And if you're excited like we are, you can help out Kent at patreon.com slash bcashfs. Um, before we move on, anybody else in the mumble room want to wax poetically about bcashfs or are we uh, – are we all actually? I have, I, I have, I don't know, I don't know who I should ask because it's on the community hub. But um, little birdies around me had told me many little bits and details about this, and I, I have kind of a picture, but I have a suspicion that Popey or Wimpy may know a lot more. Ooh. It's, it's multi pass, and it's, it's not a password manager. No, no, it's a totally new project coming out of Canonical that manages virtual machine instances that uh, are running Ubuntu. It uses, uh, cloud images it's a qmu kvm on the back end and uh i i I imagine it's it's gonna be hot stuff but i i really don't know much more about it than that i've i've seen i've seen little rumors and bits and pieces about it i saw some murmurings at ubuntu rally where people were behind closed doors going okay we're gonna do this we gotta get and make sure you get contact this and i saw i i oversaw a lot of that but i haven't seen any concrete pictures but i bet you somebody in our mumble room knows a little more about it who wants to bite, Popey? <laughs> you spoke first. Uh, <laughs> teamwork, gentlemen, teamwork. Okay, so um, multipass is to KVM what LexD is to containers. So LexD is a tool for provisioning thin containers, and multipass is a way for standing up um, full-blooded 
virtual machines on Ubuntu really quickly. So you just snap install, well, in fact, not just on Ubuntu, actually, because you can snap install multipass. In fact, I was joking with Ike about this the other day, that this is what all Solus users have been crying out for, because ah. now they can snap install multipass, and then they can multipass launch, and it will... Uh, provision and uh, fire up a 1604 uh, VM uh, on on Solus. Very good. So, yeah, it's just a really fast way. So it's, it's designed as a developer tool. So if you've used things like Vagrant in the past, for example, it's a much simpler way to actually stand up a bunch of VMs running different supported uh, releases of Ubuntu so that you can uh, flesh out your dev environment. Hmm. And uh, I think you'll see a bit of noise about multipass in 2018. It's definitely the one to watch. Yeah, that's the sense I got too. I also noticed that what seems to be some rather banner features again is a it can fetch and cache images from the cloud of like a of what I presume to be like a a pre set up virtual machine, sort of like a la Docker yeah. images, and then it can periodically refresh uh, to make sure that the images stay up to date. That seems like some pretty yes. big features. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good stuff. So they use the what's called the cloud init images, which are updated frequently. So when when something in the archive changes that affects those images, those images get respun and then are available to you uh, fresh and immediately. Hmm. Are there any plans for uh, API support or similar? Um, interesting question. I'll decline to comment for the time being. <laughs> That's acceptable. I will say, you mentioned Vagrant. I'm definitely excited. Vagrant could be so slow. I already use LexD for some similar things, but having like a full virtualization is sometimes what you need. So mm-hmm. I'm excited sometimes about this Sometimes you need it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you do. Yeah. I, yeah, we have a couple of use cases here in the studio where we're still using virtualization. We're on a very old Proxmox installation. And when Multipass came out, I said to Wes, I said, this might be what I use to redo some of these virtual machines because it's an early it's early days for the project. This post is made December thirteenth, although it's been in the works for a bit. But it's it's sitting on top of KVM and other technologies that are tried and true. So there's not a lot of risk for me to try to spin up a virtual machine based on this because Ubuntu is a known quality, KVM's a known quality, Snap's a known quality. Yeah, like between like the and the the tooling from like from Snap and LexD, I've really I've really enjoyed what's come out of Ubuntu there. So I'm sure this will be an equally pleasant experience. Yeah, Multipass. I'm not yep, so sure I on the haven't. name, but I like the idea. <laughs> uh, the the name will become re- relevant in the future, I think. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Um, so I've I've got a number of um, VMs stood up with a Multipass different versions of Ubuntu. And what I've been doing uh, for fun is um, installing inside those the Ubuntu Mate uh, meta packages <laughs> and then X to go yeah. and then connecting into them for running instances of Ubuntu Mate on different releases of Ubuntu. That's I don't do it for those so, purposes, but I do something similar with several Ubuntu Mate instances. I do that same yeah. exact thing. But I, I use it so I can test stuff across different versions of, of Ubuntu Mate. You know, it's it's just really convenient. It's much, much simpler to get versions up and yeah. running than, you know, using VirtualBox or some other UI. You can uh, you can poke it around. It's nice. And uh, I'm looking forward to how it's going to develop over uh, at 2018. I smile that it's a snap. Because it's it's just it's so funny that it's now it's just boom it's everywhere it's everywhere that runs snaps it's it's there now uh, that's that's pretty great speaking of being there one of the things that freaks people out about Thunderbolt three is you're on the PCI bus you're right there that it, direct memory access it's too late you've seen everything and 
there is finally a project in the works to tackle this problem. I think this is probably Beard's favorite story of the week because mm-hmm. I think he told me about this on Sunday. It was like early on. On you remember what was it about the story that stuck out to you, Rikai? Because I was like, okay, well, that sounds that sounds interesting. Why do I care about this again? <laughs> I don't know. It just it just seemed like uh, it's nice to have security on every part sure. of your system. Yeah, sure. I suppose what I do like about it is that it's like a full fledged solution here. Uh, this is coming out of the Skunk Works at uh, at Red Hat, I believe. And uh, one of the things it'll do is it'll even give you a prompt, say, in the GNOME notification area, which is kind of awesome. So you're sitting there, you get a little, hey, hey, yo, Holmes, um, some rando just hooked up an unknown, untrusted Thunderbolt device to your system. Are you cool with this? And uh, that, I think, is a pretty great feature because unlike USB, Thunderbolt allows wide access to devices. You can just read the memory and uh, you could – in theory, attach a malicious device to that thing and just dump everything that's in the I.O. I mean, uh, it's 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 pretty critical that this thing gets secured, especially on a system that might have um, um, randos uh, sitting down at it. The, the, only, the only thing that uh, I wonder is uh, what happens for some of these use cases where some – we have had issues where hardware will reconnect and disconnect and reconnect and disconnect and reconnect and disconnect. There could be kinds of problems where now you're where you have another step where you have to say yes, approve, y- y- yes, approve. Yeah, right. I could see some instances in troubleshooting. Of course, this is probably just something that people that don't live in a production environment don't really have to deal with very much. But whew, hopefully, Bolt just nails that right between a yeah. good way to give us security without causing a bunch of inconvenience when troubleshooting, or an easy, you know, like whatever. I don't care. Just I know I'm unsecure right now. <laughs> I was for, reading up for, on it, and I think uh, if it recognizes a hardware device that's been previously accepted. It'll just right, accept okay. it. Yeah, it does look like that. I suppose that's true. So I hope it's not going to ask me to uh, authorize a device using an on-screen prompt when my device is booting with an external <laughs> GPU. <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> oh, I suppose that is because a good I'll, point. I'll explain now, full disclosure, with an eGPU attached, when you boot your system, you get no output whatsoever until the display manager has loaded mm, a little, a little spooky yeah yeah i mean you know i do really like the ui implementation like in the gnome drop down menu it even gives you like scanning peripherals like it's 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 using a dbus api to list the devices and enroll them and then emit new signals to the desktop environment when a new device is attached it so it does feel mm. like it's very dependent on the desktop interface <laughs> but i just can't imagine they wouldn't have thought of that use case scenario i do think that this is also good for um there's devices that are starting to come out now that require these security levels so it's nice that linux is getting this early on before you know there's devices that you can't use yeah yeah and uh there again not to make it all about us but there is a very serious use case where we take devices that have USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 specifically on them to cons fest whatever you want to call them um, rallies and we take hardware there and we set up and we record and we broadcast and our peripherals connect over these buses. Mm-hmm. So we, <laughs> we really, you could so easily have somebody walk up to the booth and they could lean in while they're talking to you. They could plug in something to an open port and screw with you and do, and we're, we're live on the air. Don't get any ideas, people. I shouldn't have said any of that. Forget all of that. We've got to cut all that out. <laughs> but it does for us. It really is that the uh, the struggle is real. 
Well, and as more and more laptops have these ports, people are using them. There's yeah. more peripherals you want to use. It could be vulnerable. You MacBook users, you. All right. Exactly. Before we go any further, let's take a moment and go to linux.ting.com. Everybody now, linux.ting.com. Sign up for a better way to do mobile. The way that if you're outside the States, often seems like mobile should just be done. The way if somehow we had some sort of DeLorean and we could go back and reset the whole cellular industry and they had to compete on their own merits today – this is what they would do. You pay for what you use. It's, I don't know, it almost seems like it's too obvious, but this is, this is the model. It's $6 for a phone, and then you pay for your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. And whatever you use, that's what you pay. It's, just, it's simple. $23 is about the average bill once you've made some calls and downloaded some stuffs and texted some peeps, maybe done a few Tinder hookups. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you're into. West don't judge. It's usually around 23 bucks per month. There's no contracts, no determination fee, nationwide coverage. They got the GSM and they got the CDMA. You know about that? That means if you got one of them devices, you could bring it over to Ting and you can get $25 in service credit. Now, if your first bill is going to be less than $23, you just paid for more than your first month. What? Now, say uh, your phone's busted. It's old. You need something new. They have a bunch of great devices you can buy directly, and they'll give you $25 off one of those. In fact, I think they got a big sale on, the, on like, the nice Motorola devices. I'm going to go over there right now. Go to linux.ting.com and then click on the shop page. If you want a nice Android device that doesn't break the bank, yeah. Yeah, they got the Moto 2017 lineup on sale right now, so you can apply our discount at linux.ting.com. You can get the Moto X4 unlocked, no contract, no early termination fee, no blocking updates for their Ting experience, everything with a great Android experience, nice performance, beautiful screen, expansive RAM or memory, $324. I'm just... I'm so excited. I, my brain doesn't even comprehend how that's possible. They've also got the E4 Plus for $144, under $200 for a great Android experience. And they have those physical home buttons, which are apparently going out of style these days. Couldn't, they couldn't fit that in on the latest iPhones. Nope. Linux.ting.com. Go there, sign up, and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program, Linux.ting.com. Firefox Quantum was a good release. We were just talking about it in the pre-show, how I've been using it more and more. And then they went and did that thing with the extension that we all know about. You know the one where they injected the uh, Mr. Robot Looking Glass extension, disabled it by default, and then had a whoopsie-daisy, said we're sorry, and uh, retracted it. Uh I've already covered this in Linux Action News. I don't really have much more to say about this, but I I wanted to hear your thoughts, Wes, um, oh, and then we got to open up the Gen 2 challenge. But then I wanted to hear your thoughts. What do you think about this move Mozilla made to push down the add-on? It's disabled by default. If you participated in the feedback program, you got this installed. And it looks like the angle was going to be some sort of tie-in with Mr. Robot where people watching the series could go unlock a game and they would discover, oh, my gosh, it's already in, in my browser. Oh, my gosh, Firefox and Mr. Robot work together on this. It's so cool. I just love Firefox so much. I'm going to use it for the rest of my life. And so they pushed it down to everybody's computer because that was obviously what was going to happen. And it looks like Mozilla wasn't even paid. These rumors, I have not confirmed this. It looks like Mozilla wasn't even paid a dime for this. So this wasn't like they sold out to the Mr. Robot series. It was like, we're going to capitalize on the momentum of Firefox Quantum, and we're going to capitalize on this somewhat popular geeky television show and blow everybody's mind. And it really backfired, I think. Yeah, I definitely, I, I think I'm sad. I'm sad how much it has backfired and the, you know, the amount of negative press. Personally, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about this. Um, I like, I like Mr. Robot just fine. I don't necessarily need this add-on. But, 
being being shipped from Mozilla, I by using their browser, I am in some ways implicitly just trusting the software they ship. This seems like it would fall under the same domain. So I wasn't actively actively offended. I also don't think it was a great move. And I was Quantum had a really good release, and so it's sad. I can see why maybe they would think that this could capitalize on that, but it maybe also shows some some wrong priorities or people who hadn't really thought this through at Mozilla. And it's really it's just sad that this this reaction maybe will make people less ready to try out what really is quite a good browser. Yeah, and it does go, geez, what? How did you not see how this wasn't going to be received? Well, what's wrong mm-hmm. with you guys? Uh, does anybody in the mumble room have any thoughts that they want on this story? Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. I wanted to give I want to give you guys a chance. So, I I'm I'm kind of a little disappointed and companies make mistakes and people can be very caught up in internally in their own thoughts. And I know we've made mistakes in the past at Canonical where we've thought something would be a good idea and there's been a gigantic backlash and we completely didn't expect it because inside our own bubble, the thing we did made sense. But outside, if, if you're, if you're not, um, an Amazon subscriber and you're not part of the, the culture that knows what Mr. Robot is, this is just offensive. It's, it's cultural arrogance on the part of Mozilla to think that anyone outside that bubble gives a shit about Mr. Robot because they don't right it might well be yep. a popular program in the united states of america and a few other countries but nobody else gives a damn and i think it's arrogant on their behalf to think other people would yeah and, and insensitive to what is probably a large percentage of their user base like maybe that's not yep. who they want to add well, right especially now, people but... who are fans of mr robot they're going to be the more technically aware more privacy concerned group out of anyone watching any television show right <laughs> yeah yes. that too so either <laughs> way it's not a great way yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really shows a lack of understanding and and uh, the echo chamber effect. I think is what Popey said. Like if they if they bundled like maybe if the extension was something like, hey, we're going to bundle Tor in there, or we're going to bundle yeah, a right. VPN yeah. that, as an option. Like things like that might have made more sense. That might have not been used for even the territory. I think, and pocket. I appreciate that the 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 extension yeah, that they pocket. did install, they only did it for English language installs. Yes. So, yeah. but that still represents a significant chunk of people who don't live on the continental US. You know, would have received this thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a little bit sad. I think it was a little bit overblown in the community that people went a bit nuts about it. But you know, I can kind of see why. It does seem to be there's building momentum at getting angry at Mozilla. That's really the core thing they've got to figure out how to address is the mob is ready to get into justice mode at a moment's notice these days. And uh, Mozilla's name is ending up on that list more and more. But on the positive side of this whole thing, unless anybody else has anything they want to say, I think the positive side of this has been Vivaldi has received a lot of publicity. A lot of people in our Discord rooms and our Telegram group and uh, on other places are are saying, oh, I'm trying out Vivaldi. I'm switching to Vivaldi. When people say, what should I try instead? I'm seeing Vivaldi linked a lot. Which, you should try Brave. Brave is just yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you actually want a browser that is interested in your privacy, then Brave is the way to go because that's just baked in. That's their whole USP. Right. Yeah, and Brave got a little news this week because uh, they've launched now as a snap. You can snap install Ooh. Brave, which is kind of awesome. So it's a great chance to try it out. I believe they're adding some preliminary support for IPFS as well. And really, yeah, so all kinds of interesting development activity. You can over also at snap install IPFS. Oh, hey, well, whoa, look at you. what a combo! Geez, let's keep it rolling. You know what else you can snap install now? Apparently, VLC three O RC one is available as a snap. Are the video is the video oh, land yes. team looking at snapping? Is this is this happening? Yeah. yeah. Does that one have wow. Chromecast so, support? Wow. I'm, 
I've been working with um, one of the um, VLC developers on this for a few weeks now, and uh, we worked through some issues to make sure that uh, hardware accelerated video playback works out of the box oh. on you know, all of the platforms, so it does the right thing. Um, there are still some teething issues. There's some theming issues. Those are down to us in the snap world that's nothing to do with vlc it's our fault so we're addressing those but it's um it's really nice because it's hooked up to their ci so direct builds of vlc3 go straight to the snap store awesome so you get the latest builds straight from there yeah and that means it's really integrated into to the process mm. which is great so uh, to keep the to keep things rolling uh speaking of coda radio earlier mike might be here happy to hear this that uh JetBrains is also getting on board with snaps and uh, shipping really? twenty one, I think. Tw- I don't know how many. I know they have twenty one different tools. I don't know how many are going to be snapped up, but uh, I know that the one that uh, some of our audience might be interested in is the PyCharm stuff, as well as the PHP Storm, WebStorm, uh, GoLand. Oh, cool! Very yeah. nice. So I've been working with one of the uh, JetBrains developers. <laughs> Good work. Uh, they uh, they currently have 12 of their products okay. uh, in the stable channel, and they have two others that are in the uh, candidate and beta channels at the moment that they're hoping to push out by the end of the year. And then they'll be looking at other products in their portfolio uh, to see uh, what they want to snap. But yeah, they've, uh, they've been working very hard over the last uh, six weeks or so, bringing more and more of their products to the store. That's encouraging. So, yeah. Yeah, lots of lots of the, and the JetBrains tools. I wasn't super familiar with them until I started working with them, and they're very very good. I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Mike's been raving about them for a little while. To I me. mean, if you do if you do enterprise Java, that that's what you use. That's yeah. just that's just how it works. So, and a lot of those people do it on Windows, or I mean, on Ubuntu these days. So, that's that's but, really nice. You know, that is a solid ending for 2017 for Snaps. You know, for an initiative that really was birthed and really got into momentum this year. That's a pretty that's a pretty triumphant ending to that and a good positioning for 2018 we feel like i feel like the the reasons for me to run arch are getting fewer and fewer if flat packs and snaps and app images bear out i i am really going to get to that point where i could have a solid stable linux core with a lts core um and then fairly up-to-date fluid user land application which is been the most achievable for me on Arch, but now it feels like it's almost going to be achievable anywhere. And then there's just gaps to close. If we could get get the upgrades a little smoother, I'm oh man, I'm I'm very excited about the future. There's overhead, there's changes, there's there's things to be worked out, like Poby was just saying with the theming. Mm-hmm. But we have time to get there, and we're we're making good t- we're making good progress. Yeah, and the, for the things that it works, you know, like really well with it, it's it's just amazing. Well, uh, I want to talk about one more thing that caught my attention this week. I don't know why I never noticed this before, but you know, Etcher, right? The the USB yeah, writing uh, tool. I actually think it's pretty good. We've covered it before. I, is that Electron? It's Electron, isn't it? It is, yeah. Freaking Electron app to write USB thumb drives. Wow. Welcome to 2017. <laughs> they have a command line node app to yeah, do it as well. Yeah. So they, <laughs> yeah. 2017 indeed. <laughs> they have a little piece of hardware they're working on. Have you seen Etcher Pro? No. This thing is, it almost feels like a fantasy. It's uh, got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Something like 17 or some nonsense USB ah. ports plus a master source port. And an embedded touchscreen that is Etcher just running on the touchscreen. It's like the Electron app just running on a dedicated screen. And a hardware slab that could be best described as a large USB hub. 
and they they say it's they currently have this thing able to write to five hundred thousand different SD and USB drives per month. Are uh, they Etcher's already and Etcher's already known for doing this? So they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create a standalone hardware device that allows you to write multiple cards or USB discs at once at the best speeds we can possibly get to compared to any traditional method. Um, multiple writes at the same time. It does 60 megs per second. It can do 750 megabytes. megabytes they're saying megabytes. Uh, a second total. You're going to have a limiting factor of just the total speed of the USB drives. But uh, 16 different cards you can hook up to this Ooh. thing. With uh, Also, there's I guess there's a whole bunch of S, uh, uh, there's SD card slots that you can't see in the picture as well. They say the, the pricing is going to be competitive, but I don't see an actual price on here. But this thing's... I mean, how would you? I mean, I'm trying to describe this to the audio audience. Like, this thing looks like um, uh, almost like something out of Star Trek, but like retro Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, like the original series. It looks like Captain Kirk would like have something they would have, where you could plug in a bunch of stuff. Uh, you could totally see how like it's a very, hardware like, clinical or yeah, very very just minimal interface. Look at them go though. So that's the Etcher Pro. They don't really. They just have a subscription to find out about it. It's interesting that this whole Etcher thing, you know came out from from the resin.io people yeah and etcher is just this you know thing to help them burn yeah. their software on usb drive <laughs> to get you to install it which is why they you can see why they i mean they're like well we'll make this for ourselves yeah. and then it's if we want a huge hit seemingly it's if, i mean and, this could and, yeah look at all these people that download well, right well now we'll make a hard drive device to, we'll make a hardware device to do it and if a few people want that and you can just see the, where their thought process on the from beginning to end i have used some some products like that um way back in the day to you know to replicate a whole bunch of usb drives and a lot of them are not you know their interfaces are not great they're pretty minimal so this is maybe it's in, maybe there's a target in the luxury usb mass writing market i'm not sure that's a thing you know uh <laughs> veratunda points out that uh, noah could use something like this when he's trying to switch people over to yeah. linux i think that's pretty good and cody the dragon says uh maybe they should call it the sketch so it would be the etcher sketch Boom. Boom, boom. Yeah. Womp, womp. But that's pretty good, though. I think that's what they, I yep. think they should actually yep. do that. Just because that'd be Why really not? great. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else is great? DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there and spin up some infrastructure. I was reminded recently that there's so many great features of DigitalOcean that I often go off in the woods and I'll talk about spaces or I'll talk yeah, about block crazy storage. modern stuff. And they, you know what they say? They say, Chris, you really got to talk about that dashboard. It's a dashboard for days is what they say to me. They say double down on the dashboard, Chris. It's a dashboard for days if you're a total noob or you're an expert server administrator. You're going to find that dashboard wonderful. They have an API, too, that matches it. In fact, I think the dashboard is a client of the API, but I – I digress. Everything you want to deploy, you're going to be able to deploy it within seconds. Everything's backed by SSD drives. And they have team support if you want to work with a group. And one of the features that probably gets a little under-talked about besides the dashboard is the snapshot and backup functionality. For just very little additional, you can build in backups to your DigitalOcean droplet, which gives you a real peace of mind regardless of what you're doing. And you combine that with monitoring and alerting that you can collect metrics, monitor performance, and receive alerts to app optimize performance or know if something's down it and that's at no additional cost it's just it's a really really good system and they've built it in a way where you can do work really fast you get an idea you go from idea to actually deploying a system hey i want to try this thing out on github hey wouldn't it be cool if nextcloud could do this and you go from that moment to actually trying it within just a couple of minutes it's really enabling. DigitalOcean.com. Go there, create your account, and then use our promo code DO Unplugged. It's one word. You put it together. You apply it after you create your account. You get the $10 credit. Spin up that $5 rug, rig. Run it for two months for free. 
know what I'm saying? DigitalOcean.com. It's just so much more pleasant to use than like any of their competitors. The Everything APIs else. are simple and clean. The UI is beautiful. That dashboard. For days. Oh, days. Years even. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DO Unplugged. Big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the show. And thanks to everybody out there for using the promo code DO Unplugged. <sighs> All right. I got to admit it. <clears throat> Steven got me. Steven VN. Steven over uh, usually writing for ZDNet. But now picking up a gig for HP Enterprise, filling out their website, he wrote the Linux commands you should never use. And I got to admit, he got me, because this is, this is an idea we've kicked around for the show for a little while, but never really just put the list together. We've actually even made jokes about it on the show. Oh, crap. You know what I just realized, Wes? Oh, my God. Fascinating. We got to start the Gen 2 challenge. We're, at, we're over halfway into the show. What's going on? All right, we're going to get to this in just a moment. I'm, I'm sorry, that was not an intentional tease, but I want to see this thing through. I got to get this over. I was recently told by a listener that this might be the worst audio, the least compelling segment we've ever done on the show. So yeah, probably true. I feel good about that, uh, which reminded me of the satire piece that Swampy posted over at Pseudo Satirical, and the headline was. Man loses will to live after a Gen 2 install. A man has been left hospitalized and his family left distraught in the aftermath of a grueling install of Gen 2, the Linux operating system. The 32-year-old man was admitted on Thursday and is currently in stable but serious condition after he reportedly lost the will to live. Sources say he was installing Gen 2 late on Monday evening on his main computer, and this was his, quote, first serious attempt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how are you feeling right now? Good. In, all, in all seriousness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how many weeks? I know it's not weeks, but how many episodes have you been doing this? This is the third, I this think, or fourth, yeah. third or fourth. Right. Yeah. So we're just so doing it during about, the show. We're just doing it during you're the show. About three, you're about three or four hours in to installing. Mm, well, Gen about two, two and a half, I'd say. Probably, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Two and a half hours. Yeah. If I get a USB stick of Ubuntu, in fact, a blank USB stick, and I have to download the ISO yeah, yeah. and put the ISO uh-huh. on the USB stick sure. and then install the system. I'm done in like 20 minutes tops. Right, right. So for all of the extra performance you're going to eke out of this install of Gentoo, do you think it's a false economy? Oh, you're asking that question before we've gotten there. I mean, how can we answer, really? Well, because I, th- I think I think this is probably the last Gen 2 challenge you're going to do, because you're going to l- lose the will to live as well over the <laughs> Christmas holidays, probably. <laughs> I, w- I would say for most people, probably not. Uh, it is a lot of fun. I will say I really enjoy – it's been – it's fun to configure a kernel. It's just a lot of fun, and it, there's a lot of neat options that I There's value enjoy. in visiting down Obviously, the Obviously, you can do that in other distributions, in Ubuntu and Argent. It doesn't matter. Gen 2, it's, it's feels like it's, it yeah. feels like it's just part of the process. A few of the houses I grew up in, and Angela's house, they had this crawl space under the house. And, like, you don't go there very often. But when you go under the crawl space of a house... You kind of reacquaint yourself with some of the mechanics of the of the plumbing, the electrical. Oh yeah, that hack job we did a while ago, and it's sort of good to just have a real intimate understanding of actually how all these things connect together in your home that you live in every day. But at a certain point, you go above that crawl space and you just want to get your you just want to move on with your life. So I do feel like it is um, <clears throat> in this day and age not particularly worth it. If I was on a system that was very old or thirty two bit or maybe even ARM. If I could use DCC or something like that, um, then maybe, then maybe. Or if you're just a you know a very skilled user who has a who has an interest in maintaining all the little bits and pieces of what goes on in their operating system, you you will enjoy it. All right, Wes. Well, are you ready for the uh, the official check in? How are we doing over there in the uh, Gen Two corner, Wes? Uh, well, we're 
we're working on emergence way right now. Really? Yeah. Does that so when you do that? Does that? Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I hear the build going now. Yeah, that's oh, it right there. there. Oh, look at that. Building away, mm. mighty Whoa. fine. So is that it? Does that is that pulling in Wayland and all that stuff as a dependency? How's that working? Yep, we should be good to go after all this is done. So you are building not just way, uh, Sway but also Wayland. Now, yep. I, do you think that's going to finish? Actually, I installed that earlier before. Oh, you, but oh, okay. but yeah, exactly. Do you think that's going to finish? Uh, uh, Fifty-one of one hundred and twenty right now. That's where we're at. We may not get to a graphical environment this episode. Oh, we're so close, though. All right. I will also say this has been slow, partially because we've been doing it uh, in, a, in a virtual machine and, and while doing the show. And I had not installed Gentoo for years. Uh, I did install Gentoo on another system just yeah. to play around. Yeah, me too. The second time is so much easier. Like, I really, oh, yeah. like you know what I mean? Oh, like, yes. After you've done Arch one time, oh, yes. it's like, oh, okay, yes. it's simple. It's really not that complicated. Oh, yeah. I didn't, if you don't go in the weeds... Probably yeah. in like an hour, I could have Gen Two installed, uh, depending on build speed. And as our friends in the mumble room might say, we're really just kind of taking a piss here at Gen Two. But in the reality, if we really wanted to buckle down and get this done, it's it's not that difficult. It doesn't take that long. But we want to, if we're going to do this damn thing, we're going to have a little fun with it. That's what we figured. All right, Wes. Well, before the show's over, we'll we'll check back in with you. Okay. That sounds good. All right. All right, so let's move on. That 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 wraps up the Gen Two well check-in, I guess. That doesn't wrap up the challenge yet. I'm doubtful we're gonna get to a graphical environment this episode. Jeez, though, that'd be great for our last live episode to actually get to a graphical boot. So the system's booting at this point. Oh yeah. Well done, sir. You're doing well. You're doing well. Which kernel do you remember? Was it which which version? Probably not. Huh? Now you can't I think check. Four twelve. Maniac. All right. So the Linux commands you should never use. We're gonna start with the obvious one right here at the top rm-rf slash the first one that i ever learned the hard way back when uh, it was much easier to actually delete your running system now it's a little more difficult but uh uh i've just short version i've told the story thousands of times probably but my favorite one of my favorite things i ever experienced about linux was the fact that i could delete my running system and then the fact that components of it just continue to run as if i hadn't just deleted my entire file system so i had the slow realization of what i had done Ah. this like oh what is that doesn't seem like that's hmm well my my GNOME session's still going, my terminal's still working, and then having this slow discovery as my system completely fell down around me, and more and more things stopped working, and then I said, hey guys, come over here, because I'm in the middle of a school lab, come over here guys, and I'm showing, look at this thing, I deleted my entire file system, and it's still running, let's see what else I can do, what else is in RAM, and it was like, it was this massive fascination of how powerful, single-handedly, that I could delete my own – because this would never happen on a Mac or Windows – that I could delete my own file system and then keep using it to a degree to debug the fact that I just deleted my own file system. So, uh, yeah. Maybe you should go RMRF your system. It's a lot of fun. I mean, if you're done anyways. Maybe do it to someone else's system or, better yet, no, a virtual gonna, machine. If, oh, well, sure. But, I mean, like if you're on a system and you're going to nuke and pave anyways after you got all your stuff backed up, right before you just go wipe the old disk anyways, want to have a little fun. See how far you can get. See which desktop environments last the longest. I bet you I bet you could get pretty far. Uh, you'd be surprised, depending on how much is in memory. Uh, the Bash Fork Bomb, of course, which is kind of hard to translate to uh, audio, but you'll go find, you can find the link in there. Uh, then he points out how easy it is for noobs, and I want to see what you think, because I think he's probably right, how easy it is for noobs to accidentally overwrite their hard drive. Because you can basically pipe anything to dev HDA accidentally. Uh, ls-la and then you go to pipe that to like a file and you're being dumb you're a noob you write in slash dev slash hda and you hit enter and the next thing you know you've just overwritten the hda device with the output of ls-l uh what do you think is that a destructive one there wes is that like uh you think that i've never heard anybody doing that i've never heard a single person doing that 
I have not either. Not not to the actual to the device. It, it is pretty easy to overwrite a file, especially, especially if you're writing to similar name files or like versions that have like you know changed just changed letters or numbers after them. Um, I will say in general, the command line is not a very forgiving environment in its <laughs> default configuration. Now, if you have you know backup snapshots or even there's even just you know helper yeah. helper things to to make RM for instance more friendly, then it's not so bad. But when you're coming to Linux or just Unix in general, really, one of the things that is hard for longtime Windows users to understand is nothing returned is generally a success. A lot of times that means failure in the Windows world. Like you, you run an application and nothing happens, that's a failure. Whereas in Linux, you run a command line application and, and, it, and it just returns the command line. It generally means it's, it's success, it succeeded in what you wanted it to do. Right. And so it's this weird kind of like mental like uh, space you got to get, you got you to bridge. But the command that I would bet more often screws not just noobs but uh, experts is DD because that's really where you could accidentally just put the wrong thing in there. Put the wrong dev SDA device in there. The wrong, what I just right. I mean, it'll do what you tell it to mm-hmm. do. And see, here's a little more plausible because using DD, you generally are working working with a device of some kind. So you're already mucking about here. It's pretty easy to just play. Oh well, I typed a two, but I meant a one there or an A instead of a B, and everything's ugh. okay. Right. Let's let's get this out to a wider audience. Uh, Chris, your friend of mine, Joan Ressington, <laughs> has another podcast uh-huh. called Late Night Linux. Yeah. And one of his co-hosts <laughs> is Jesse, who's a very good friend of mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Jesse had made a bit of a faux pas earlier in the year where he managed DD, Pop OS, <laughs> over his hard disk, <laughs> not onto the USB stick. And this it caused all kinds of confusion because he accused Pop OS of silently installing on his hard disk whilst he was testing it on the live environment, which actually happened to be his hard drive. Yeah. Now, let's let's just say to everybody, stop using DD. This is this is a recipe for disaster. Everyone has a IDD'd over my hard disk story. We've already talked about Etcher. And if you don't want Electron applications, then uh, Gnome Disks has a facility yeah, to restore true. a disk image. And you just say, restore disk image. Here's where my ISO file is. Point it at your USB drive that you've plugged in, and it will stick an ISO image on your USB stick without any of the confusion of whether you've got the right device selected or not. So let's for 2018, let's all make a New Year's (laughs) resolution that we're going to stop using DD for putting ISO images on USB sticks. I've never installed GNU slash Linux. Now, Veritun, it sounds like you have a horror story of overriding a drive recently. Not drive, but I was actually building a um, OpenWRT image, and it was a i386 image, and I accidentally did a make kind of install type thing, and what it did, it would basically installed BusyBox i386 on my AMD C64 laptop. And what that does is BusyBox will replace all the kind of core binaries with symlinks to BusyBox. Um, and basically trash your system because you now cannot LS, you cannot cat, you oh, cannot no. do any of the other crap scare stuff that you used to you do to try and unpick the system. And so I had to spend time, okay, on the system, copying across 64-bit binaries over the sim links to restore the system enough that I could actually get the system running oh, man. properly. Yeah. Now, Beardsley, you have like a belt and suspenders approach to DD Rescue, or I mean to DD. It's DD Rescue. I kind of gave it yeah, away. Yeah. <laughs> DD Rescue, that's GUI. 
Um, G- yeah, the, the dash GUI might be the the easier part there. Okay, so I was just going to say this. I've actually – now, I shouldn't say this because it's going to happen to me because it's it happens to everybody eventually. I've never DD'd over the wrong drive before. I've never made that mistake. But I have made the format the wrong drive mistake. MKFS oh extended three slash dev slash and I, I had I had several USB disks attached. And what I would do was this clunky manual system where I would I would edit and edit and edit, and then I would fill up my scratch drive, and I would I would fill up my output drive, and then I would use rsync to kind of like collect the entire project, the project files and the output file, and move them all onto these large USB enclosures that were like four terabytes because it had two mirrored two terabyte drives. Oh, yep. So it was like hard, it was supposedly hardware mirror in this enclosure. The idea being, I load this up with about a about three months worth of content, and then I put it on a shelf and I write a la- I put a label on the side of it and say these date ranges of episodes. Okay, yeah, makes sense. So I had this. I was to like I'm like pretty far into this. Just about have the whole drive filled up. Pretty proud of myself for actually finally for one year getting my crap together you were and on saving top our, of things. Yeah, I'm saving our source files. Until I went to go format one of the disks in the computer and instead I immediately <laughs> and instantly formatted that USB drive. Just wiped it all out right then and there. And it, and I hit enter and then I, I reread it and I was like, Oh, that doesn't look right. I'm like, well, sh- I should probably double check that. And, I, and then I, I did like a quick mount. You know, that's always my go-to to like, what is, where is everything at? Yeah. So I open up another tab, do a quick mount. Okay. And I, then I tab back over. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like, and I that knew. sinking moment of and, realization. And, and then the command line returns. Right? It just, and I'm like, and then of course I'm like, and this is, you can probably find it in TechSnap. Like, I tried some data recovery stuff, and this is a long time ago now, but it was, uh, it was one of those moments. So, yeah, make sure when you're formatting, you're uh, formatting. I've also probably, I've probably done it with Gparted too. I just, I don't have a story for it. Oh, so I have done that one. So be wary of, of that. I think something else, and this is one that uh, SJW, or S, is it SJW? No, it's not SJW. <laughs> That's something else. It's SJN. <laughs> what he points out is uh, one of the other things that's pretty common is for noobs that are trying to get tips online to do the whole uh, uh, grab like a, a command that W gets a shell script and executes it and just paste it right in the terminal. We've all seen the websites, really nice, fancy websites. You go there and they've got like that syntax that you can just highlight right there and paste it into your terminal and have a go. And why should you care? They're a pretty well-known name. And that's pretty – I think it's impossible to tell newbies not to do that to be honest. I think the risk to reward ratio is, is too skewed and I don't think there's any way you can properly tell a newbie not to do that because at the end of the day, they just want sublime text or whatever it is that they're trying to install. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to be a pessimist, but that is such a dangerous, slippery slope. Right. And I mean, so there's like dangerous for multiple reasons, right? One of them is some of those scripts are poorly written. And so uh, if they are in an incomplete download could execute something that is not is not properly run, but will still execute. You can engineer scripts to not do that. So in that in that case, in the best case situation, it's about as secure because they also don't expect any newbies to really verify that the script is anything they probably don't know what it's doing they don't have the the capacity to audit it it's true but it's, it's really just an unfortunate situation in general uh any other like uh, don't do this to kill your system tips uh for anybody that got uh, a uh, a linux computer under the holiday poll this year does anybody have a, a going away parting i'll add just at the start find has the dash delete flag which can be really useful but if it's you put it before any of the other arguments you use to filter your find 
it will just delete everything. My so God. that's one thing to watch out for. That's a good one, Wes. Yeah. Always, yeah. That's like, especially with those things, it's always best to like do one run just finding the files, yes. save that to a log file to put in the ticket for later, and then run the delete command. And always, always, always double check when you're, when you're new to the command line before you execute anything as root. One of the things that I do if I am like uh, just double checking now before I format a drive after I had that uh, horrible circumstance where I deleted nearly four terabytes worth of source material, what I do now is I write the command in usually like gedit, but whatever you want, whatever you have that's your favorite little scratch pad. Nano. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> and I, uh, I, 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 then I, I run the mount command. I look at my mount points. Like I make sure – and I, what I, one of the things I will do – I know this is going really – I'm being pedantic here, but I will, I will do – I'll type mount. I'll see my output. I'll highlight the output, like the dev slash SDA1. I'll highlight that with my mouse cursor, and then I'll use the X middle click paste to paste that into my command syntax in gedit. So that way there's no typo. It's a one for one. I know it's a copy pasta. And then I, I complete the whole command out. I type out the rest. And then I copy that and paste that into my terminal and execute that. When I'm doing it like a like a format, just because I I want to like double triple check it, right? And it can be like you can accidentally get you know returns in your in your copies or other things where things execute before you've had a chance to completely review the command. So I think that's great, right? Like yeah, compose in a scratch pad and then you can run in a terminal. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, we have more in the post, so you can go check out uh, his uh, SJVN's whole post uh, over at the HP Enterprise blog, which I thought was interesting. Look at HP Enterprise uh, trying to uh, trying to get in a little bit. They have Enterprise.next, which is their uh, insights and resources to help IT pros shape the future of business. It's, their, it's the new Enterprise blog for HP Heliot Packard. And I think it's very, very interesting that they hired SJVN, who is a Linux writer, and they want posts about Linux. What does that tell you, Wes? Hmm. I suppose they know their customers, or mm. at least the people who they want to send emails to get them to click and then maybe talk to their boss about buying HP Enterprise. <laughs> Speaking of talking to your boss about buying something, why don't you talk to your boss about buying a Linux Academy subscription? This is, I think, a great way to go. If you have any kind of training budget, because Linux Academy is such an outstanding value, this is a win-win. It's a win-win for the employer, but even more so, it's a win-win for you. If you just want to advance your career or just challenge yourself or just learn a new skill set, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You go there, you sign up for a free seven-day trial, and you can try out the whole dang platform. Their downloadable comprehensive study guides, their virtual servers that spin up right away. Linux Academy is such a great platform to learn about every Linux cloud and DevOps topic or those major big infrastructure things like Azure and AWS and OpenStack. They have Learning Paths, which is a series of content and courseware plans specifically for your education. And like I was saying at the beginning here, they also have great support for like team accounts and uh, and. You have um, these profile pages that you can you can use for a lot of different reasons, like a GitHub pro- public profile where you can kind of brag advertise about some of the accomplishes that you've completed. But you can also use it as a way to say, here's the things I've done with the training budget. So it's a great way for you to really turn around and show this has been worth your time. The reason I mention that is that's something that can easily be hard to quantify in a corporate environment if there's not a really clear rigid structure and you can avoid all of that hassle of a super rigid structure with just the tools built in the Linux Academy platform. Whether you're a single individual, you're working at a business, or you have a whole group like Noah with his team, there's so many great resources. And instructor mentoring, real human beings, hands-on scenarios, real labs, and course schedulers to fit with your busy time. Wow. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, sign up for a free seven-day trial, and you support the show. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. 
All right, Wes, how's the Gen 2 corner over there? What's going on over there, Wes? 71 of 120. I thought so. So yeah. This I, is not the fastest rig in the universe. In fact, far from it. We have to... Uh, well, we can't always We can't always just be cu- talking about what it's like on, like, 6-core and 12-core systems. Like, we do have to sometimes run it. Yeah, a, really, part of this was, like, what's it like for uh, the casual Linux user who's never installed Gentoo before to just come over and, you know, they're not a newbie, but they, they have so some Linux knowledge. I think we need Beard to act as official judge because... Uh, he could be our impartial decider here, but I, don't know I, if I would agree with impartial. But decider, okay, right, yeah, yeah, decider. Okay. Certainly. <laughs> uh, w- what do you think about for the sake of getting through the challenge? Since it's quote the worst content of the show ever. Um, what, what if? <laughs> what if we let the build finish? Yeah, I can do like that. we don't boot, we don't reboot. Like we let the builds finish. If they air out or finish, we let them finish or air out. And then pause the virtual machine. You really emphasize an error out there. Well, They're going to finish. They'll be saw fine. Look, the build saw, will well, be fine. I saw a look on your face earlier, and it was like, oh, shit, the build just stopped kind of a look, I thought. So I was a little worried. Oh, no. Okay. No, no. Everything's fine. It's just slow. But here's the alternative. Or the alternative is when the theme music ends, the, the Linux Unplugged outro music ends, Wes has to hit pause immediately on the virtual machine, which is more in line with the original spirit of this whole thing. Yeah, that is part of it. I have not let anything finish. I have just right. been like... So I think Beard's got to be the decider if we let this one go through and then we pause it or if we pause it during the outro music. I say we let it go through. Okay. All right. Judge uh, Judge has decided. Judge Beardsley. So then hopefully that means next week we may be able to boot up and get right into Sway, which would be the first time I've ever seen Sway. I mean, I have an idea of what it looks like, but it'll be the first time I've ever yeah, seen we'll have one. to make sure that we can show it on air, too. So Yes, yeah, so oh, that'll be good. That. We'll come up with a little way to do that, too, which will be maybe impossible from Wayland now that I think about it. I, don't I, even... I have seen one at least screen recorder. I'm, I'm doing some research in, for a in Oh, Wayland, you already bring me yeah, interesting you're already ruining everything. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I'll also have in the show notes, if you want to read that satirical thing about the man who became um, suicidal after installing Gentoo, that'll be... I'll be linked to the show notes, but okay. I feel good about that. I feel good about that. And nobody, you notice nobody in the mumble room is participating in the Gen 2 challenge anymore. Perhaps the worst idea ever, but I submit it would have been even worse video content. People are like, this is just horrible audio content. And I'm like, yeah, you know what would have been worse? If you were watching us do it, that's even, that's even worse. <laughs> so you have spared us all of that. Now, uh, this is our last live show of the year, but True. we will be yep. back at the beginning of next year and we have releases coming out. Um, during the holidays. And also, just a little plug skis right here for the new TechSnap program, TechSnap.Systems, new program, a reboot of the TechSnap program on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. So you can catch up on that if you'd like during the holiday break. But uh, we will be back in the new year. We'll have the live times over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We'd love it if you join us in our Mumble Room, uh, which is uh, mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. But you can get all the information you need when you go to that website. And we have a dedicated Linux Unplugged community chat room at discord.me slash jupiter colony that's right discord.me slash jupiter colony linux unplugged in there as well as the irc room at irc.geekshed.net hashtag jupiter broadcasting wow that's a lot of stuff yeah. you know and that uh you know that content you kind of underplayed it but it's not like a lame clip show we no did, that's not what we're leaving you no, with we, for the we holidays did, we this did is all new original content air. yeah right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it turned out a lot of fun actually um, also, let's give a little plug skis for the wonderful and uh, around 30-minute podcast, the Ubuntu podcast. Yeah, yeah. Go check out more Aww. Wimpy and Popey over there. Please do. Season break we, um, soon? We, we, we strike for 30 minutes 
As long as we don't have Ike Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> Some things you just can't control. Yeah. yeah. We're having a season. The last episode of this season will be out uh, this Thursday, and then we'll have a break for a couple of months. Wow. <sighs> so jealous. So jealous. I have an idea for a podcast where I'm going to do seasons. I'm going to get all in on it. Oh, seasons. I'm thinking about it. Thinking about it, Wes. But that'll be a story for 2018. All right, guys. Well, uh, have a great holiday. We won't be, we won't be gathering together again. Uh, until the new year. So everybody there in that virtual lug, have yourself a holiday. I really appreciate you guys being here throughout the year. And um, I don't know, what else, what other nice thing can we say to them? Thanks for all the great content over yeah. the year. Here's to 2018 and lots lots more Linux. Yeah, yeah. And really, uh, same to all the audience as well. Everybody out there, I hope you have a great holiday. And I, I hope you tune back in and uh, we have, I think, I think... 2018 is going to be the best year for Linux Unplugged ever because we have so many cool things in store. I'm super excited. It's, uh, I don't know, it's just, uh, it feels like we have just the things that we've even thought of for 2018. I think if we just pull those off, it's going to be a great year for the show. So yeah, like Wes was saying, don't miss the holiday content. That'll be out on the site, the feeds, the YouTubes, all the regular places you catch Linux Unplugged. So be sure to grab that. Check out the calendar for when we're live again over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, contact page, slash contact, at Jupiter Signal for the network. He's at Wes Payne. I'm at Chris L-A-S. The beard is at rect.net. Hey, look at that. Hey, how about the subreddit? Let's slip that in there, too. Linuxunplugged.reddit.com. Go there. Submit content to the show. All those good things. All right, I got to go. They're playing me off. Producers are saying, get out of here. It's time to wrap up. See You're ya. done. Let it go. Go enjoy the holidays. Okay. Thanks for being here. See ya in 2018! last time this year we got to pick a title we got to pick a title you know uh i uh, i resisted the urge to do like a predictions episode this year because that's pretty common but i did sneak a couple into linux action news so we got some linux action news Ooh. in the pipe too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we get any title suggestions what do you think wes what about something about uh bcash fs being a hope yeah yeah <laughs> help us be cash fs uh, that's not bad. It does play on the Star Wars uh, hype right now. Etcher, because DD is scary, says architect. Oh. <laughs> um Yeah, if we did artwork, we could have What's-Her-Face from um, um, Fifth Element. Lulu. Yeah, yes. Of course, I, be- I bet you guys have been hearing that a lot recently. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to make the joke in the show too much, because I figured that's, that's one that everybody... No, we love it. We love it. Does uh does multipass support custom images at the current current point? You can create you can customize the cloud in images and use those, yes. Okay, oh, cool. you can yeah. yeah. Okay, that's I figured, but yeah. What I if, love those cloud in it. The, those images are, are great. What about RM RF slash? Yeah, that's the ultimate customization. But well, for, no, really I mean just picky. for the for the title. No, for no. the for use the, the um, bash fault bomb as the title. 
bash fork just the just the word bash fork bomb no the squiggly brackets and everything. Jeez, you know that could actually break somebody's podcast <laughs> catcher i bet i will yep. say that is like if uh if you're trying to find someone who's like if they're familiar with bash it's a reasonable thing to make them explain to you um what do you think so i bash fork bomb isn't is actually kind of funny but i also like rm dash rf i don't I, I, I can't believe we've never done that how about rm dash rf 2017 yeah, there you go. Oh, that's not bad either. That's pretty catchy. And means something, sort of. That's not bad. That's not bad. So, uh, so basically, I'm going to paste it in the Discord and tell me if you guys like the way that looks. Because I can't just now that I actually see it, I don't know if I like it. Uh, but if I'm, I'll paste it here and see if I like it better on screen. Doesn't that look weird to you? It looks weird, right? Sorry, give me five minutes to find where on Discord you posted that. Well, no, you just look on the live stream if you know. It's on the it's in the yeah, link. Oh, oh, yeah, right, right, right. What if I took out the slash? Well, I think just I think yeah, just slash, slash. I think well. No, I'd have a trailing slash twenty seventeen slash. Yeah, there you go. I like that. <laughs> really, you yeah. think that would make the difference? But without the leading yeah. slash, maybe. Oh, oh, okay. Because I kind of don't like the leading slash. It's a directory beneath where you are. Yeah, I'd, yeah. Or even just plain twenty seventeen is all right. As Rikai suggests. Yeah, I kind of just like RM-RF, though. But I could... All right, so now if we do just without the slash at all. Hmm. Yeah. I, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Hmm. I think I like it best without the slash. Yeah, I think I think, you, I do I think you get it without the slash, right? Yeah, I think you're right. It's a bit nerdy with it. <laughs> right. <then> well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's not nerdy. Yeah. <laughs>